Good morning. Um, if you are visiting us or here for the first time, uh, my name is Tyler Lutz, um, and Jeff and I did a, a little switch. Um, so I'm going to be opening up God's Word with us this morning, um, as well as the decorations you see here are not usually always up. Um, we had VBS this week, and it was uh, board game themed. Um, and we had a good time. But we are working through the life of Jacob, um, found in the book of Genesis, and so we are up to Genesis chapter 30. I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 43. Um, and again, we've acknowledged this a couple of times, these narratives are quite substantial, uh, so the font in the bulletin is very small. Um, so please, uh, you are encouraged to bring your own Bible with you um, or even look on your phone. Um, we also have Bibles in the foyer if you are in need. But if you can, please follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 through 43. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and every spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me. When you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and black among the lambs, if found with me shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But the day, that day... Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastored the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock was breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. 
So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the beautiful story that is found in your word from start to finish, God. We pray that as we dive into your word, our hearts and our minds and our ears are all open so that we can see what you have to tell us. I want to give all the praise, all the glory, all the honor for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. One of my favorite genres of movies or, or shows or books is, is a heist, a good heist story. A, a story where, where somebody has to use their wits and they make this big elaborate plan and they execute on it. Uh, if you've seen movies like the Oceans movies, that's kind of come to mind. Uh, if TV shows are more your speed, you might know where the phrase, I love it when a plan comes together, comes from. Anybody? Anybody? A-team. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Jeez, Jeff. All right. Yes, A-team. All right. Now, I don't know when it started, um, but I've always been kind of a fan, I guess, of scheming um, or making up big, grand plans to accomplish a task. Uh, and if you are like me and you grew up with siblings, and especially if you're the youngest of three brothers, most of the scheming, plotting, and planning was used to get out of trouble. Hopefully, some of you can relate. Otherwise, my brothers and I are going to look a little bad uh, throughout this sermon. Anyway, I love a good story. I love a good plan. I love seeing that story and that plan come to pass. And, and oftentimes, in the heist stories, you, you have these plans with twists and turns. It zigs when it should have zagged. There, there are moments when all hope is lost, and then miraculously, there's one more thing that saves the day. We have some scheming and some plotting happening in our passage today. And in our passage, we're going to see that Laban, he has a bad plan, Jacob has a good plan, but ultimately God has a better plan. So first, before we get into their individual plans, let's break down this deal that was made between two parties. What did they agree to? At this point, we already kind of talked about what Jacob had been going through, but at this point, Jacob had served Laban for 14 years. So Jacob makes this deal, and he says, I need to leave. I'm going to take my wives and my children, and I need to go to my home country. And he talks to Laban. He's like, I've been very good for you. My work has produced a lot of money and wealth for you. And so Laban's like, yeah, sure. How much money do you want? He says, I don't need any money. Instead, give me every spotted sheep, every black lamb, every spotted and speckled among the goats. And that's going to be the payment that Laban owes Jacob. Jacob makes a point specifically to say, there's no way I can be even dishonest with you if this is the deal, because you can clearly see if I've stolen any livestock from you based on the coloring. So Jacob's deal is just too good for Laban to refuse. Jacob isn't being greedy here. He's, he's only asking for a tiny portion of this wealth, wealth that Jacob was responsible for building. Jacob was just asking just for a fraction of what was actually due to him. Laban agrees to this deal immediately, and now the game of wits ensues. Now we see what Laban does. He lies and he cheats, right? We already saw this on, on how he cheated Jacob out of, out of marrying Rachel first and said gave Jacob Leah first. 
But remember where Jacob comes from, right? He comes from the same exact family. Jacob's mom did kind of the same thing, right? Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Jacob has also come to this battle um, of wits, and he's come to play. Have you guys seen The Dark Knight Rises, the third of Christopher Nolan's Batmans? Uh, in it, Bane is the bad guy. And so this kind of reminds me of, of Bane talking to Batman. He says, you've merely adapted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I don't have the mask, but I worked on that all week. <laughs> so it's basically what's happening here, except the fact that um, you know, Jacob's not going to break Laban's back and take over Gotham. But Laban still thinks that he's going to outsmart Jacob. But Jacob says, I was born in this family of liars and cheats. I know how to play this game too. So what are these guys planning? First, let's look at Laban's plan. What does Laban do? He tries to outmaneuver Jacob, right? In verse 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. Laban agrees to this deal immediately, but then he immediately goes to his sons and says, take all the livestock that would be Jacob's and get out of town. Go. Now when Jacob goes to collect his sheep and his goats that he agreed upon, there's going to be none available for him. And Laban probably laughed himself to the bank. He, he outplayed, he outmaneuvered Jacob. Now if you're thinking, good job, Laban, for finding a clever workaround, remember he's the bad guy in the story. So maybe the way you look at it, maybe he technically didn't break the deal. He simply twisted and messed with it. He kind of messed with a few factors in his plan. And the results were that he benefits and Jacob will suffer. In the summer of 1996, the great Lutz home run derby took place. Three batters took to the plate, age 6, 8, and 10 setting up what would, some commentators would probably say is the greatest feats of athleticism ever witnessed. <laughs> a couple more details about this home run derby. It was not done with a bat, but with our hands. The ball was not a baseball, but it was a foam ball. We had a dog named Coco that did indeed have a tail, and that is important. The home run derby also took place inside of our home, in our family room that extended into the dining room. In the dining room, there's a light fixture with lights and panels of glass hanging from it. And finally, parents, nowhere to be seen. And they also had previously not been excited about us playing baseball inside the house. There may have been a rule against it. Now, if you're good at connecting dots, you might know where the story is heading. But one of the Lutz brothers, who will remain nameless, hits a butte straight down center field only to quickly meet the light fixture above the dining room table, and one single plane of glass falls and shatters. Now, the three of us are in a tight spot. We need a plan. We need a story, and we need it fast. Our dog, Coco, is going to be our scapegoat, or scape dog, if you will. So the plan was to lie through our teeth, the three of us, band of brothers style, and we're going to take that lie to our graves. The plan was this. When asked what happened, each of us are going to respond in the exact same way. Coco was wagging her tail. 
She hit the foam ball, which had been used primarily in the pool, but had found its way inside the house. The ball then went flying through the air, crashing into the light fixture with such a force that it shattered the glass panel. In our silly little brains, we thought it was the perfect cover-up. We were the only witnesses, and dogs don't talk. But just like Laban's plan, our plan was bad. It was absolute garbage. When we look back on our lives, we often realize that we lie, we cheat, we steal. Maybe we take advantage. Maybe do we twist the words and actions of others to see our plan come to pass. And the scary thing is, maybe it works. Maybe we benefit from it at others' expense. But we know down deep that's just not right. You know how in our Bibles there's section headings for these narratives, right? It's kind of broken up. The ESV that we use here at Hope, the heading of this passage says Jacob's prosperity. And it's true. Our passage ends with Jacob being incredibly prosperous, right? In verse 43, lest the man increase greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. In a couple other translations, there, there are subtle differences to the title of this narrative. One says, Jacob prospers at Laban's expense. Or my favorite, Jacob outdoes Laban. Laban had a plan. My brothers and I had a plan. We, we all often have plans, and maybe we think we're geniuses for coming up with it. But when it comes down to it, it's just bad. So what does a good plan look like? Let's look at Jacob's plan. Excuse me. Jacob strikes this deal, right? And then Laban hatches this plan to take away all the livestock that would be considered Jacob's. And what does Jacob do? He looks around. He doesn't see any of his livestock. And his response is, I guess I just make more sheep and goats. Specifically, I'm going to make sheep and goats that are spotted, striped, or black. They all have the characteristics that would mean that they are mine as part of the agreement. Jacob comes up with a good plan. He does not need to lie, cheat, or steal. Everything that he does is in line and agreeable to the original deal. And then comes some clever ancient Near Eastern genetics. Did you catch some weirdness as part of the process that Jacob used? Starting in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. This process is called sympathetic magic, and it is based on a belief that the user could influence something based on its relationship or resemblance to another thing. So sympathetic magic was employed throughout the ancient Near East. So Jacob's actions here reflect the belief that the offspring of an animal was affected by what it saw during the procreation process. And using that process, he got the outcome he wanted. He had a strong herd, as well as each and every sheep and goat that came were his because they were in the characteristics of the deal that were given to Jacob. And we made a lot of discoveries in genetics since Jacob, 
but what probably was happening here is this idea of selective breeding, right? It's the idea of how we domesticated the animals that we use in the first place. We, we bred animals to have the traits that we desired. You guys remember Punnett squares in science class, maybe middle school or so? It's a simple way of seeing like what traits are passed down to offspring. So you have a white goat, a black goat. Together, there's a chance for a white goat with black spots. Right? That, that might be oversimplifying it, but either way, you see Jacob's plan is that he's using his own intelligence, his own firsthand knowledge, the knowledge that came from him being really good at his job. So good, in fact, again, that it made Laban a lot of money. So Jacob's plan is to outsmart Laban. Laban's deal was bad, it was selfish, it was twisted. Jacob's response was not to be malicious, but to be smarter. Have you seen the Oceans movies? Specifically the, the ones with George Clooney as the lead. In the second one, Oceans 12, the group is tasked to a competition by a master thief named the Night Wolf. There's a lot of moving pieces, um, but it's a, it's a great heist movie. And the major plot line here is, is the Night Wolf wanted to be named the best thief to ever live. And he needed to beat Danny Ocean and his crew to do so. So they decided that whoever can steal the Imperial Coronation Fabergé egg would be named the greatest thieves of all time. Fast forward to after the heist. Danny Ocean's plan does not work. They failed to execute the plan to get this, this egg, and they were going to swap it in the museum. It was being held with a holographic egg. A task seemed completely impossible, and for Ocean's crew, it was. The Night Wolf, on the other hand, using his master thief abilities, was able to perfectly come up with a plan to sneak into the museum, steal the egg, and escape with no authorities or even Team Ocean noticing he was even there. So there's this scene with Danny Ocean and the Night Wolf. The Night Wolf is, is smug. He's happy with himself. He won. He stole the egg. He's the greatest thief in the world. But that's when Danny Ocean uncovers that he had an ace in the hole, which is another great twist in any good heist movie. Danny Ocean reveals that his team actually stole the egg way before when it was on its route to the museum. And indeed, the night wolf stole a fake egg that they planted. Sorry for the spoilers. It's, it's a good movie. But you see in this movie a great battle of wits. And you see someone using all of their resources and knowledge to outsmart a very intelligent person. But Danny Ocean only did it because he had the secret. He had an ace in the hole. And I confess I've done the same thing to you all. I left out part of this narrative that shows that God had a plan all along. Jacob was very smart. He, his plan was smart. It was less sinister than Laban. But Jacob had something very important that Laban forgot about. Jacob's plan from the very beginning, before Jacob was even born, was not Jacob's plan. It was always God's plan. God had put in motion all these events to come to be. God had this plan built out all the way on the promise he made to Abraham, saying, from you, Abraham, I'm going to build a great nation. You're going to have land and descendants. This nation is going to be grand and vast. It's going to be a blessing to all the other nations it comes in contact with. But Abraham did not see that promise fulfilled. Abraham died only owning Sarah, his wife, and his own funeral plot. 
no great land, no great many descendants, no great nation. But God's plan and his promise still rolled on. From Abraham, it went to Isaac. From Isaac, we have Jacob. Jacob's family is now growing, and his wealth is growing too. Jeff last week talked and hinted towards what the children of Jacob would become, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's all start because of God's plan and God's plan for Jacob. God's plan was to provide Jacob everything that he would need to return home to start building this nation promised all the way back to Abraham, then to Isaac, and now rests on Jacob. Jacob is going to acknowledge the work of God in the very next chapter, and this is what I left out when I read this narrative. In chapter 31, verses 9 through 12, Jacob says this, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped spotted. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped and spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. God sees Laban's bad plan. God sees what Jacob is doing, and it's a good plan, it's smart, but God makes it even better. One commentator points out the genius of God's plan. He says this, No doubt some of Jacob's success came from selective breeding, but by itself this would have worked very slowly, as Laban reckoned it would. Clearly God intervened to fulfill the hopes Jacob placed in the rods, using them as he used the arrows of Joash and the bones of Elisha at the means of working miraculously. It would not be the last time that his part in a success would be much greater than it seemed to the observer. God's plan does more than Jacob ever could. When you read the narrative, it says all the goats that were bred were those that would fit in with the, the deal that Jacob made with Laban. All of them would be his and they would be strong. God's plan is taking the natural and turning it into supernatural. God's plan is better. So where do we fit in? We're, we're not in this story at all, but where do we fit in? I think one practical takeaway we can take from this passage might play out like this. In our lives, in our day-to-day lives, who are we more like? Do we make plans and act like Laban? Do we take advantage? Do we, do we twist the words and actions of others to see our own plan come to pass? Or maybe we make plans like Jacob. Do we rest on our own wits or our own intelligence to try to better ourselves? Maybe it's not exactly like Jacob, but in the same vein, do we try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Do we pride ourselves in being a self-made man or woman? Right? Do we, do we say things like, I made it happen for myself using my own skill and intelligence? I think both of those ways of life, they can get you far in this world that we live in. But ultimately, you're going to be left lacking. So I think the one thing we should do is we should get on board with God's plan. right? We should rest on God's plan for us. Are we able to live our lives placing our faith in God? Can we read passages like Chris read earlier in Jeremiah? Can we stand confident when God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Can you imagine hearing those words? For, for those who, who don't know, the book of Jeremiah was written to God's people who were exiled. They, they were bruised. They were battered by the Babylonians. And despite all of that, they still found reassurance in God. A God that will see them through anything that this world can throw at them. The same God that promised a future and a hope to Abraham, to Jacob, to those exiles, still promises us the same thing today. God's plan for all his people is to care for them, to see them through life in this broken world. God has a plan of provision and prosperity for his people. In one glorious day, Christ will return and make all things new, and his people will reap the rewards of an eternity of peace, all because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. All because he has secured eternal prosperity for his people. That's the plan we should base our lives on and the plan we should live our lives for. Start there. Would you believe me if I told you my parents believed the lie about the light fixture? Well, after the event took place, Dad came in and and cleaned up the broken glass. He hung up a new panel of glass. Don't worry, we had extra. It was a household of three boys. And that's all we remember from that day. I asked my brothers this week, did we get in trouble for that? And we all agreed, we don't remember. We don't think we did. So I asked my mom, and and she said, I don't remember if you guys got in trouble, or if you did, I don't even remember what the punishment was. So I asked her, at any point of time, did you believe us? And she immediately started laughing. And she said, no, your father and I thought it was hilarious that you boys even tried. And she did remember that none of us broke from the lie, though. We all stuck with it. None of us us gave up on each other. So, band of brothers. So, what happened that we remember from that day is that my brothers and I lied. A really bad, really dumb lie. We broke the rules. We messed up. But my parents mercifully did not punish us. Instead, they made sure we were safe. They cleaned up our mess. Isn't that what God's plan is for all of us? God meets us in our sin. He, He meets us in our mess. God meets us and provides for us what we need. We need his mercy. Jacob experienced God's mercy and provision. We too can experience it as long as we trust in God. One commentator summarizes our passage like this. He says, The Lord will one way or another plead the cause of the oppressed and honor those who simply trust his providence. May all our mercies be received with thanksgiving and prayer that coming from his bounty, they may lead to his praise. So let's rest in God's plan that he has secured for you in Christ. Rest in his mercy. Surrender our tendencies to to try to live our lives based on our own plans and instead praise God that his plan is far better. And let us respond to God's plan through worship forever. Because don't you just love it when a plan comes together? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you again for your word, God. We thank you how we can dive into your word and, and read a story that is not about us, but we can still see 
the beauty of who you are, God. Let our lives be changed by you and your plan for our lives, God. Let our, let our hearts be filled with wonder and awe when we receive your mercy and your love. Let us never stop praising you, giving you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, for you are the only